So behavior defines belief. So God is with this if-then looking at their behavior because God's the one who taught these truths. If you obey me, there'll be blessings. If you don't, there'll be curses. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. We were all born with a nature that in many ways is in opposition to God. And as we mature in years and in faith, we become keenly aware of the law of consequences. Today, David takes us to the 26th chapter of the Old Testament book of Leviticus in a message called Blessings and Curses. I try to pray and ask God to give me impressions. Um, Here are the words I kept hearing. Outward. That as this world gets increasingly darker, we're to be outward, salt and light in the world. Heard that pretty clearly. The other one was, be my church. Be my church. That we have to be the church of Jesus to make an impact upon this world. And the final thing I heard was this word, warning. Warning. And I kept hearing it over and over and over again. I've spent almost a year carefully and assiduously studying the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations. They go together in the Bible, in case you don't know. They're companion pieces. And the book of Jeremiah is about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet he's often called, warning Israel about God's impending judgment. And he's calling them to repent over and over again, over Decades, he keeps doing this. Interestingly, there are other preachers of the day, and Jeremiah says about them, they are false prophets. All they preach is peace, peace, when there is no peace. It reminds me of some of what's happening today. There are ministers just continually telling you that the gospel's all about you, that God's purpose in dying on the cross was to bless you. And and there's some truth to that, but really the gospel is not about you, it's about Jesus. It's about serving him and glorifying him. And they're preaching a message of peace, peace, prosperity and blessings, all that God wants to give you, but there's a world surrounding us that is not of peace. When Jeremiah continued to warn the people, they threw him into a jail, they threw him into a well, they didn't want to hear his message, but what he said actually is what happened. He warned the people. And I don't think this is going to make me the most popular preacher ever, but I feel like I'm supposed to warn you and to warn this nation. And there will be probably two people who listen to me. One of them is my wife, maybe one of my children. (laughs) But I'm supposed to do this, folks. I'm supposed to do this. So Leviticus chapter 26 is what we'll look at. You ready? Three people are ready. Okay, (laughs) here it goes. God made a covenant with Moses, and he said, I am the covenant maker. I don't want you to be the covenant breaker. And here's what I want you to remember, Moses, as the people sign on the dotted line regarding this covenant from the more powerful God to the less powerful the people after he had freed them from the bondage in Egypt Entering into this unique relationship with the God of this universe, God says, You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths 
and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So in this covenant arrangement that God made with his people through Moses, the book of Leviticus being a part of this signed covenant document they were supposed to be a part of, God says, when you enter into this promised land, and I give you this land, which really belongs to me, but I'm going to loan it to you to live in in perpetuity forever, that's the nation of Israel and the Jews. When I give you this land, I want to make sure you do a few things. First of all, stop all idolatry. Don't go into the high places like the Canaanite culture that surrounds you, this pagan godless culture that surrounds you, where they've gone into the mountains and they built these idolatrous high places. Don't do that. Don't have any idols, which means you love anything more than God. Don't do that, God said. And then secondly, he said, keep my Sabbaths. Not just that one day a week when you worship me, for, for the surest way you can allow yourself to remain pure from the godless culture around you is to make sure at least weekly you come together to worship with the family of God, to hear the word of God presented to you. It reminds you of the last thing God said to Moses, to the people, for I am the Lord. In worship, on the Sabbath, we remember that God is God and I'm not God, and most of my problems come when I get those two things confused. Does anybody agree with that? So God says, I am the Lord. You're not the Lord. Keep my Sabbaths, no idolatry, as you enter into this covenant with me in the land. And then in the next verses, God divides Leviticus 26 into blessings and curses. He does this by giving us two key words used nine times in Leviticus 26. The two words are if and then. If you do these things, then this is what's going to happen. And the specific division is if you obey my commandments, my laws, my statutes, then I will give you blessings, verses 3 through 13. But if you disobey my law, statutes, and commandments, I'll bring curses upon you, verses 14 through 39. Now, basically, the prophets in the Bible, that's Isaiah through Malachi, were like Jeremiah telling the people if you just repent of your sins, God will relent of his curses and judgment upon you. The prophets gave the people continual warnings. Now, if you call people to warning, most likely you're not going to have the masses come listen to you preach. And a lot of the messages regarding peace, peace where there is no peace is for the purpose of putting butts in the seats. But it's really hard to preach the truth about warnings and hope a lot of people are going to come. I hope you'll stay with me. Because God's the one who taught these truths. If you obey me, there'll be blessings. If you don't, there'll be curses. Now, now let me make a couple quick points. First of all, behavior defines belief. Are you with me on that? Behavior defines belief. Some of you say about people, I don't care what you say. I'm much more concerned about what you do. Now, now, Jesus said in Matthew 7, in one of the most chilling verses in all the Bible, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? So behavior defines belief. So God is, with this if-then, looking at their behavior, because their behavior defines belief. Secondly, all of us are the sum total of our life's choices, aren't we? I've joked about it with you on different occasions, but I've asked this question. How many of you would like to go over your life again and remake some of your previous choices? I know I would. Man, 
There have been some really stupid, dumb choices I made, and I suffered the consequences accordingly. So God's trying to get the people in the promised land to make right choices based on his godly principles, which will bring them blessings. But if they don't, and they make wrong choices, and their behavior defines their belief system, there will be curses that come upon them. So let's look at, first of all, in verses 3, 4 through 13, the five promised blessings that will come upon God's people if they choose wisely, behave rightly. First of all, God says there will be plenty in verses 4 and 5. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments, then I will give you your rains in their season, the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their harvest. God basically promises blessing plentiful blessings. There'll be rain, a fruitful harvest, great news for an agrarian nation. Material prosperity will come if you obey my statutes. Secondly, God says there will be peace. Look at verse six. Then I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid and I will remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. God says there'll be peace in their midst, no fear. They'll dwell securely. They'll be free from ravenous animals, and enemies won't cross your borders. That's called true border control. God says, I will protect you on your borders from your enemies. There'll be peace. Thirdly, there'll not only be plenty and peace, there'll be power in verses 7 and 8. Then you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. God promises that should an enemy try to invade, you'll have power and victory over them. God basically promises to fight the battle for them. Five will be able to overcome 100 enemies. Ten will be able to overcome 10,000 enemies. God says, I will give you powerful victory. Fourthly, he says, if you obey my statutes and my commands, I'll give you proliferation. Verses 9 and 10. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply, and you will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. God says to the Israelites, fulfill my creation mandate in Genesis 1, 28, to be fruitful and multiply. Unlike what's happened in the West, where we despise large families now more and more, God says, I like large families and have them. Be fruitful and multiply. And of course, when those of us start having more and more children, we start asking the question, God, how are you going to supply for all of these needs and feed all of these mouths? And God promises the Israelites that what has been stored up and will seem like it's moldy, you'll be able to eat. And I'll supply an abundance even more for you to eat. In other words, have lots of kids, and I promise I'll supply for them. Most of you know that Marilyn and I had some trouble conceiving children. We had one and two. We were so thankful for that. One night, she came down. We were both a little older in life, and she said to me, I've got some news for you. I said, what's that? She said, I'm pregnant. I gulped. And I said, how do you know? She said, David, women know that kind of thing. I said, well, have you taken a pregnancy test? She said, yes. I said, what's the accuracy of the pregnancy test? She said, 96%. I said, how long before you have to take another one? She said, an hour. I said, go take it, please. She went upstairs. An hour later, she came back down and said, I'm pregnant. I said, what's the accuracy for the second pregnancy test? She said, 98%. I got up, kissed her on the cheek, and said, honey, I promise I'll be back. 
I started driving around, I found a movie theater, and I went in to see a movie. It was entitled A Clear and Present Danger <laughs> by Harrison Ford. Sat there for two hours trying to figure out in my mind, okay, when I'm old, this old, he'll be this old, when I'm old, and, and you know, went through all the gyrations in my mind mentally to try to figure this thing out. I saw the movie later on, by the way. It's a pretty good movie. Anyway, came back, and, and I saw Marilyn, uh, hugged her and said, I'm okay. I really am. I'm okay. Because at the end of the movie, here's what happened. The Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, David. He said, David, don't you believe that I, the one who created this child, will not supply for this child? And God has faithfully supplied for us, as he promised the Israelites he would do. Have large families, and I promise I'll supply their every need. So there was plenty, peace, power, and proliferation, blessings that God promised. And finally, he promised his presence in verses 11 through 13. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, and brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Now, Material blessings are great. I like them just like you do. But let me tell you something. The greatest blessings are material. The greatest blessings are spiritual. God promises to be amidst his people in the tabernacle and in the temple. He promises his presence. He promises to protect them and to be with them no matter what. And then what's amazing, he said, believe this because I am the God who brought you out of Egypt who brought you out of that slavery condition where you were under the yoke of the burden of slavery and suddenly I removed it with my power and my might and I'm entering a new covenant with you, making you new children so that, did you catch the verse? You can now walk erect. You walk with your head held high because you're no longer a slave. You're a son and daughter of the king of the universe. Now, what's interesting is in the New Testament, hang on, you're going to really applaud after this one. In the New Testament, the best blessings aren't material. The best blessings also are spiritual. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that every spiritual blessing has been given to us through Christ. That's his presence. That's his power. That's his glory. That's the inheritance of heaven and all the things God has promised to us. But the best blessing of all, folks, in my opinion, is the fact that God took wayward waifs like you and me broken, careless, godless people, and he adopted us into his family now as his sons and daughters. The truth is, you and I are no longer slaves under the burden of the law, trying to make God pleased by obedience to him. But by the grace of Jesus on the cross, we are adopted sons and daughters into his family. No longer do we live with our heads bowed low, walking in shame and disgrace. We now walk with our heads erect as sons and daughters of God, the Father in heaven, his royal blood pulsating through our veins. Now you can applaud. That's the gospel. And that's the best blessing of all. Spiritual blessings are always the best blessings. So God promises plenty, peace, power, proliferation, and his presence if they'll just obey his law and his mandates. Those are the five promised blessings. But then he follows with the five promised curses if they don't follow what he tells them to do. The first one being defeat. 
verses 14 through 17. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then, if then, I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you. You shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursue you. There'll be panic and terror. There'll be wasting disease, which was basically tuberculosis. There will be a fever that everybody seems to have, heart disease. Enemies take from you instead of you taking from the enemy. Your money will flee, and you will flee before the enemy too. God promises defeat. And then if the continued disobedience continues, God promises drought. Now, please notice in these verses that there's a progression. There's a warning. There's a seven-fold warning. There's a seven-year kind of warning that God promises here. It's almost like... After the defeat, if you don't repent, I'm going to bring drought upon you. Listen to these words. And if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. There's a second iteration, a second warning that God gives, wanting them to repent because he wants to discipline them, not destroy them. Now, folks, again, I have children. And when I discipline them, I'm not trying to destroy them. As a loving father, I draw boundaries around them. The worst thing I can do, though, as a father is to say to them, here's your boundary. If you step over that boundary, here's the punishment. Then they step over that boundary, and they don't receive a punishment. At that point, my fatherly power is neutered. So God is acting as a father here with his children in covenant with them and saying, if you step over this line, you're first going to experience defeat Hope that will bring repentance because I really want to stop you from behavior that's destructive. I want to teach you right choices in your life. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with thoughts on today's Moment of Hope. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and we play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? 
The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us. It's great being with you, Jen. I hope you're well. I am, thank you. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote about how easy it is to become immune to the true gospel. What do you mean by this? Well, amidst all of the debate that's in our culture presently about vaccinations Mm -hmm. and people feeling very strongly one side or the other, there's an old phrase that I've heard repeatedly that I think applies to today's American Christian church. It says, don't be vaccinated with just enough dead Christian germs that you are immune to the true gospel. Let me say that again. Don't be vaccinated with just enough dead Christian germs that you are immune to the true gospel. When people are vaccinated, there is something injected into their body to make their immune system stronger against certain diseases. Well, I think one of the things that can make us immune to the true gospel is the injection that following Jesus is all outward and not inward. Hmm. It's motions without emotions. Hmm. Uh, It's the whole idea that Paul says, for example, that we are to be hidden in Christ, Colossians 3.3, that we are deeply rooted in him, uh, that where deep roots go, it produces powerful fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. 19 through 22. So if you just have a dab of faith, uh, you've probably never received the real Jesus. Mm. If you think it's all transactional, that you just go to church, you do these things, and then you're a Christian, you've missed the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm. You're no longer who you were. You're a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So So many people in our culture look at Christians who just go to church and think that's what it means to follow Jesus, Mm -hmm. and nothing could be further from the truth. So I want to adjure, encourage all of our listeners today to ask the question, is my faith in Jesus just outward? Am I just going through the motions, going to church, doing my Christian duty, or is Christ truly in me? You can vaccinate yourself with all the outward stuff to make you immune from the true gospel of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's the message today, Jen. I wanted people to do Do a Mm self-examination, ask the question, is my faith more outward than inward? If so, whoops, I better be careful. Maybe I'm vaccinating myself from the power of the true gospel. Well, I think one of the neat things that we have the ability to do as Christians, it's given permission in the Bible, is to test the fruit, see if there is fruit being produced. And that is an outward expression of our faith. Exactly. If your root is secure, it will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Interestingly, it's not fruits, plural, of the Holy Spirit. It's fruit, singular. It's saying that all of these fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in one package will all be there. Hmm. They all will naturally happen as your root is deeply in Jesus. So it's like plugging in a light bulb and the light bulb not working. You 
pull up and down on the cord wondering if the connection is right. The same thing is true. Make sure your connection to Jesus is right, and then you'll see the fruit of his life, which is not outward, but inward in your life. That's so good. Thank you so much for these thoughts today, David. Thank you, Jen. And for you listeners, if you would like to receive a daily written Moment of Hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. From my heart to yours daily, every morning in your inbox at 7 a.m., a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the persecuted church in the Middle East.